Today is an amazing show. I learned a ton today. This is the first uh, in um, the four, next 40 days that we are preparing for the covenant. If you don't know what that is, it is something right out of American history and uh, the Bible as well. But uh, our pilgrims made a covenant with God, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, and we are dangerously close to, well, cutting our hair. You will understand that if you listen to today's podcast. You'll learn things. I mean, I was I was blown away, and I thought I knew things uh, with the guests that were coming on the show. It is fantastic. Uh, don't miss a second of it. Brought to you by Relief Factor. When somebody tries to explain what it's like to live in pain to somebody who doesn't live in pain, it doesn't. It's not very comforting because you know they can't understand. Um, I understand. I lived in pain uh, for quite a while and almost gave up. My wife said, try Relief Factor. I'm like, it's not going to work. It reduces inflammation. And I think that's hogwash because ibuprofen never works for me. And she said, just try it. I did. Tried it for three weeks. I was stubborn. And I'm like, I don't think it's making any difference. And then I stopped taking it. And I was like, okay, I, uh, this makes a difference. And I can paint. I can play the piano. I mean, it's amazing what I can do with my hands again, thanks to Relief Factor. Please try it for three weeks. Give it a shot. 70% of the people who order Relief Factor and the trial pack go on to order more month after month. Get the 1995 three-week quick start, relieffactor.com, relieffactor.com, or call 800, the number four, relief, relieffactor.com. Feel the difference. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck Program. You and I are an awful lot alike. We both worry about a future when we all feel like we have nothing to rely on. We, we don't know where to turn because nothing is real. Nothing is solid. Hey, where are you go- what are you doing with your money? You know, I saw the stock market's going down. Bitcoin's going down. Where are you putting your money? I don't know. You know, gold's a pretty good idea. Yeah, really? Is it? Because I think I read some places, the deeper you bury it, the more it'll slip through your fingers. I mean, I... I- I have no idea what tomorrow is going to bring. Everything that I thought was solid is now liquid. When our money, our food, our government, our culture has all let us all down, what then? The only reason that I'm not in a ditch somewhere or in total despair is because of two things. My wife, who taught me about God. And I know that God isn't going to let me down. And I need that. And it's not that he, it's not like, you know, Glenn, now, you know, you'd say you're a Christian. So now everything's going to be good. It's not like that at all. I need to know that God is there. But when things go poorly and I'm like, hey, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. And everything is like all of a sudden, like a black abyss. You're like, wait a minute. uh, I'm a Christian. Remember, I'm a Christian. That doesn't work that way. When you really become mature in your faith, you know when things go poorly, it's not that just this too will pass. I shut up with that. I hurt. But what gives you hope is that you know even the worst stuff that you've done or experienced is going to be used in miraculous ways. You just got to get out of the way because Glenn ain't all about you. And I hate that. It's about eternal truths a guy who has been up and down and down at his highest point uh max lucado is uh with us 
Hello, Max. How are you? Man, I t- you can keep talking all day, Glenn. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to shout amen a few times, but mm. I didn't know if I would interrupt you. <laughs> you're, you're, you're right on target, my friend. It Thank is, you. How, Thank do, you. How, how do we convince people who have not experienced, because I know you have, Max, you've experienced the, the reassurance, the knowingness that God's got you either way. And no matter what happens, it's like I, I can look at death and somebody dying and go, not that, you know, the, the, the normal, oh, well, they're in a better place. I know that. But actually having faith, I'm going to see him again. It's all going to be good. Mm-hmm. How do you and, teach that? Yeah, yeah and, and it needs to be taught because we're living in a day of despair. Um, did you know the suicide rate in America has increased 24 percent since 1999? You know, if a disease saw a 24 percent spike, we would call it an epidemic. Yes, we would. So, how, how, how do we explain the increase? I mean, we've never been more educated. We have tools of technology our parents would only dream of. We're saturated with entertainment and recreation. And yet more people are orchestrating their own deaths than ever. And I think the answer is people are dying for lack of hope. You know, secularism just sucks the hope out of the heart. It, 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 the idea that there is no God or if there is a God, he's distant. That secularistic viewpoint or worldview reduces the world to just a few decades on earth just that dash between the dates on the uh, gravestone. And people believe that this world is as good as it gets, and let's face it, it's not that good. (laughs) But people of the promise, people who begin to build their lives on the promises of God have a huge advantage. And that is when problems surface, they, they can be heard telling themselves, but I read something in the scripture, or but God told me, or, but I know that God got me through this before. They, they make a deliberate choice to build their lives on the promises of God, not the circumstances of life. And uh, as a result, they have a leg up. They have, they have, a, they, they have an advantage. They have an inside track uh, because they lift up their eyes and they get hope, find hope outside of this world. So I'm, I'm all over what you're saying, and thank you so much for saying it. So, um, you know, I just remembered Ben Sherwood is a friend of mine. He used to be a producer at ABC, and that's when I got to know him. And then he eventually ended up being the head of ABC for a while, or ABC Disney, I think. Um, and he wrote a book called The Survivor's Club. And what, it, mm-hmm. what he found in this, and he wasn't taking it from a uh, you know, spiritual point of view when he started the book. He wasn't looking for something. He wanted to know, what do all survivors have in common? And he found survivors have hope in God. And if they have that hope, no matter how bad it gets, they survive when most don't. Absolutely. <laughs> that, that narrows it down right there. And one, one of the great discoveries that people who, who uh, attempt to find faith discover is that we have a God who makes promises and who keeps promises. And understanding um, 
how, uh, how our God is a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God is uh, just such a source of strength. Uh, I, I read one, one person who spent a year and a half attempting to tally up the number of promises that God made to humanity. His list, 7,487 promises. Promises about fear, promises about sin, promises about death, promises about uh, provision, just every single area of life. God has spoken a promise. He's spoken a promise. So give, we, us, a, give, give us some we, examples of, of promises okay. that he has kept. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Uh, when he created the earth, uh, he said, and God said, Genesis Chapter one says, and God said, and God said, and God said, and every time God said something, something happened. So when God speaks, that is uh, a decree. It's not a desire. It's a decree. And because our God keeps his promises, the fact of the matter is his promises are irrevocable. Because he's unchanging. He's not victimized by moods or weather. He's faithful. He's strong. He never overpromises and underdelivers. Uh, Romans four twenty one says God is able to do whatever He promises. Hebrews six eighteen says it's impossible for God to lie. Doesn't say it's unlikely that God will lie or improbable, but it is impossible. He cannot lie. A rock cannot swim. A hippo cannot fly. A butterfly cannot eat a bowl of spaghetti. Well, I can't sleep on a cloud, and God cannot lie. So. So he never exaggerates, he never manipulates, he never flatters, he just doesn't break promises. And we're seeing, I know you you gave a uh, speech for um, one, one for Israel Ministries, and you said, promises God made to Israel thousands of years ago are being fulfilled in our generation. Most people are not, that's not making news. Can give us example of the promises there that are coming true. Exactly. Well, God promised Abraham uh, seed and soil. He said, through your seed or through your lineage, the entire world would be blessed. And boy, is, is that not a true. promise that's been kept? Yes. I mean, look, we have the, we have the Bible. <laughs> we, have the, we have the church. We have Jesus Christ. I think we have uh, much we have. reason from the Jews as well, the way they study and debate and wrestle. And I think that's oh, my stands goodness. out. And look at all the Nobel Prize winners that are Jewish. Yeah, it's just the most extraordinary nation uh, in history. And they're the only nation who has had their land taken from them and then returned to them. And that's the second part of that promise, and that is soil. God promised Abraham uh, a region, a territory. And in 1948, uh, when they were reinstated or when they were regathered to their homeland, I think we saw one of the greatest miracles in all of history. And for centuries, theologians would read those promises and say, well, God can't keep that one. In fact, I think one of the reasons that uh, anti-Semitism got uh, so much fuel in the fire is because people thought, well, God made a promise to the Jews and he's not going to keep it. But then in 1948, he kept it. It's just extraordinary. Sorry, it's a it super is. sign that uh, God keeps 
keeps his promises and and he'll continue to keep those promises so i'm starting today a 40-day devotional series that will teach biblical uh covenants that i Mm -hmm. i I think it's the only way uh to combat total despair uh and also to restore our nation we have to we have to turn towards uh towards that um yes sir any thought on explaining a covenant and and how it can be uniquely used to hold our country together? Well, God makes unilateral and bilateral covenants. Uh, He made a unilateral covenant with Abraham, the one that we just spoke. Uh, He made a bilateral uh, covenant with Adam and Eve, and they broke it. You know, he said, you, you can have all of this creation, all of this paradise, just don't eat from that one tree. And that was an agreement. They, you know, their lives and all of human history would have been different had they honored that covenant. And so it is with us today. Uh, God makes covenants with us. He talks to us about the value of life, about respecting one another. And these are conditional covenants. And if we break those covenants, if we violate, then there's consequences. Not that he doesn't love us, but he is a good father and the good father says, here's where, here's the path you should walk. And if you get off of it, it's not going to be pleasant. Right. Not, so not as a punishment, but as a, a natural consequence. consequence. Yes. Natural consequence. Yeah. And what you're urging us to do is go back to these basic covenants. And, uh, and, and when we do, and if we do, if we repent and turn and turn back to God, then we can expect blessings. But if we continue to isolate God or shove God out, uh, there will be burdens. It's, it's really just that simple. Max, my friend, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say hello from my sister. She is, you are just a giant in her, in her spiritual life and, and uh, mine as well. And I just love you so much. Thank you, Max. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. And go get him. You're doing the right thing. <laughs> uh, Max Lucado, he has uh, got a new book out, God Never Gives Up on You. Uh, and he also has his free online Bible study starting October 23rd. You can find everything at maxlucado.com. That's maxlucado.com. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck Program. America has always fought itself. Are we from Jamestown or are we the pilgrims? Are we from those people that came here from religious persecution or those who came and persecuted people uh, by taking them from Africa or persecuting people here? That has been the great debate. I choose to follow the pilgrim's path. Let me take you back to 1630. It's a group of families. They just finished making a compact or covenant. They're aboard the ship named the Arabella. This is the future Massachusetts Bay Colony. It's right in the distance. And John Winthrop delivers a speech that everybody used to know. He said, thus stands the cause between God and us. We are entered into a covenant with him for this work. We've taken out a commission. The Lord has given us leave to draw our own articles to make our own promises to make our own laws now if the lord shall please to hear us and bring us in peace to the place we desire then he has ratified this covenant and sealed our commission now think of that 
the survival rate of people coming to the Americas was very, very low. He's saying we're making this covenant. And if the Lord will hear us and bring us peace so we can just live, then he's ratified his side of the bargain. And he will expect a strict performance of the articles and promises contained in it. But if we shall neglect the observation of these articles and promises and we dissemble with our God, fall into embrace this present world and prosecute our carnal intentions, seeking great things for ourselves and our posterity, the Lord will surely break out in wrath against us and be revenged of such people and make us know the price of the breach of such a covenant. The price of the breach of such a covenant. I know you didn't make a covenant, didn't, maybe didn't know, but this is a covenant land. And we are deep in the breach. I have Bill Cloud with me. And Bill uh, is a Bible scholar. He is a, a teacher, an author. Take me to Samson uh, and the covenant with Samson and why that's important to us. Well, <clears throat> before he was born, and this is kind of addressing a point that you just made, before he was born, his mother was visited by an angel, the Lord said, you're going to have a child. And here's his purpose. He's going to begin to deliver Israel from the oppression of their enemies. And, and so the very reason for Samson's existence was to bring relief to oppression. And he was to be born a Nazarite, um, which is a very, uh, there's some very specific uh, components of that vow that was a, a Nazarite would make. But the point here at the beginning is his reason for existence was to, to deliver the people, to bring relief from oppression, and he was born into it. He didn't ask to be a Nazarite. He didn't ask for that. It was something that was decided for him. What is it? What yeah. is a Nazarite? What did you have to, how did you have to live if you were going to be a Nazarite? Yeah, well, if you're a Nazarite, you're consecrated. You're set apart. You're kind of above and beyond the rest. In, in terms of your relationship with God and what he requires of you. And you couldn't, for instance, you couldn't drink wine. You couldn't partake, uh, partake of anything pertaining to the grave. You couldn't touch, touch a dead body, a corpse. You'd be rendered oh, unclean. And of course, a Nazarite also could not cut their hair. And that's what probably most people associate with Samson is his strength and the story of Delilah and the hair and everything. But he was expected to live up to the vows of the Nazarite. Of course, there's a lot of examples in the Bible where he wasn't always that good at it. He, yeah, no. He consorted, he consorted with all these strange women. Uh, he's touching dead lions and all these kinds of things. And yet, God's Spirit would come upon him, use him to bring deliverance. However, you know, there was a point where he crossed a line, and that's, that's when he allowed Delilah to cut his hair. And how does that relate to us? The hair of a Nazarite 
was considered sacred. In fact, if, if, if in a normal cir- uh, circumstance, if a Nazarite completed a vow, he would cut his hair and that hair would be burned on the altar. It couldn't be used for anything common because it was considered holy. The word in Hebrew that describes his hair is the same word that describes the crown of the high priest of Israel, mm. the crown that said holy unto the Lord. Same word. So imagine a scenario where the high priest of Israel, who is to be the mediator between God and, and his people, and he's to represent what is set apart in the holy, if he were to take that crown and then throw it before pagans and idolaters and let them desecrate it and trample it under feet, in essence, that's what Samson did when he allowed Delilah to, Delilah to cut his hair. So my point would be this, where Samson's concerned, relating it to America there's no doubt in my mind that God raised this nation up for a reason, for a purpose, and I believe it was to bring relief from oppression. The, you know, those people you were just talking about came mm-hmm. to this nation to be delivered, to be free from that oppression, and to found a nation that would represent that relief from oppression. And Winthrop said, if God does this, and he allows us to do that, then we will take that as evidence that he has ratified this covenant. But he has expectations, and we have not always lived up to those expectations. We have failed many times, and yet we, we still stand reasonably strong. But here is where I believe we are at. We're at the risk of taking what is sacred, desecrating it, saying it is you know, of no regard to us, and casting it down, so to speak, to be trampled underfoot by people who have no regard for God and the covenant and these kinds of things. And if we ever get to that place, if we cross that line, then what? When Samson woke up, he thought he would just go out like he'd always done, but he didn't realize that the Spirit of God had departed from him, and then he was turned over to his enemies. So so, so hang on just a second. So, Bill, yep. he had because he had violated many things, and he still kept going. And that's right. kind of like us. We violated many things. We just kept going. Exactly. Uh, but then that last straw, the sacredness of of who he was, that representation, when he discarded it, cut it and discarded it, that's when it wasn't all of a sudden. He just didn't notice it. It wasn't right. because of one thing. It was many. But this was the last straw. So if I understand your parallel correctly, at least this is the way I'm interpreting it. So I don't know, but I'm, I feel like what is sacred is our, our declaration of independence, our, our constitution and our, our place in the world. And I don't mean that, you know, we're supposed to dominate everybody. We're supposed to be a place of refuge um, and, and, and law and order based on the Judeo Judeo Christian principles that we were founded on, and Absolutely. we're right. So, yeah. as we are saying, this country is nothing but garbage. This we are cutting our hair. I would agree. I mean, those documents you mentioned. They were based on those principles that we find in the Bible. I mean, Winthrop went on to say and that uh, model of Christian charity, that if we don't keep our end of the bargain, to paraphrase, that we will become a byword and a parable. And he's quoting Moses, who was saying to Israel, if you don't uphold your end of the bargain in this covenant with God, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be turned over to your enemies because you considered what was sacred to be 
less than you, you desired other things. You desired, you know, your flesh and your whims and, you know, whatever it is you wanted, you turn to those things and you cast what was sacred to the ground. So yes, I believe that if we're not already doing it, we're, we're, our, our head is going down into Delilah's lap, so to speak. Mm. Okay. Um, hang on just a sec, Bill. I want to do w- one more um, segment with you as we talk about the, the meaning of the covenant. And, you know, I, I know there'll be people that don't agree with this. This is not, this is not religion. It is scriptural. Um, but it's not anybody's faith per se. It's it's not doctrinal. Um, it is universal and eternal. And we're supposed to take the scriptures and learn from them and see the patterns. And I think that was a pretty eye opening pattern, at least for me, that now is the time we are running out of time. And if you want to save our country, then we need to change our ways immediately and do not no. we need to stand for those things that are sacred not just fight against those things that are evil but stand for those things that are sacred this has got to be about action it has to be about how you live your life and what are you willing to say? What are you willing? Are you willing to stand up for these things? Because if we don't, we cut our hair. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Skip Moen is here. Hi, Skip. <laughs> how are you? Glenn? It's a great honor to be on your program. Oh. I was quite surprised that anyone would even ask but thank you so much oh my gosh no you're i mean you're you're teaching just on the uh mistranslation of the beatitudes is some of the best stuff i've ever seen so <laughs> thank you so much you're I welcome appreciate that so let's go there okay so the beatitudes they're blessings you know, if we do these spiritual things, we're going to be blessed and get some reward. Blessed are the poor, for yes. the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You say, uh-uh. Yes. No, no. Now, the problem is, of course, that the, our idea of Beatitudes comes from the Latin translation, uh, which makes it sound like a blessing. But in both Greek and in Hebrew, uh, the more proper translation would be lucky. And, of course... The Christian world, uh, Christian publishers don't like, you know, the idea of yeah. luck in a religion. Right. So um, they don't use that. But both makarioi, which is the Greek term, and ashrei, which is the Hebrew term, are all about how lucky you are when these things happen to you. It okay. has nothing to do with you getting something. It's just a description of what it is like when you live these kinds of experiences. And, of course, every one of us can identify with some of this experience because it's all, as I say in my book, sacred paradoxes, things that are upside down that seem like the exact opposite of what they should be. And God uses all of those to, you know, move us in his direction. So tell me about the word lucky here. I just want to dwell on this for a second. Um, okay. You know, cause I used to say, Oh, I'm, I'm so lucky. And I, I believe we, I was in a conversation with this, with some bunch of people just the other day. You know how lucky we are to live at these times because we get to see who we really can be because our back is up against the wall. 
So we're lucky yeah. to, to live at this time. That's different than I'm blessed. And I, I now say I'm blessed or I'm lucky and I mean two different things. Tell me, is there a difference like that in these translations from, from Hebrew? Or Yes. Go ahead. Yes, uh, actually, in the, the Hebrew, you know, Hebrew is a very tactile, earthy kind of language. It's, it's about the land, it's about the people, it's about the dirt, it's about all the things that come into life and ordinary living. So luck plays a big part of that, because good things happen, and you think, oh my gosh, how, how lucky, how blessed I am to be, you know, alive during this time. When the rain comes, it's a blessing. It's also lucky, by the way, because right. it means that I'll have crops, okay? So in that sense, luck and blessing are, are pretty much the same. But that's not what happened when the translation started changing the concept of this uh, Greek and Hebrew idea. By the time you get to the Vulgate, the Latin translation, you move in the direction of a blessing given by someone else. So, for as I suggest in my book, there might be an ecclesiastical reason for this because in those in ancient times you had to go to the priest to get a blessing, and the mm. idea is that he would bless you for some spiritual, you know, exercise or some attitude that you had, and you would be rewarded for that. So now you become dependent upon the religious aristocracy to give you the blessing that you need in order to survive. But that's not what the biblical text is all about. The biblical text is about how lucky you are when these really terrible things happen to you. Okay, <laughs> so so wait. Say, you know, the, the, let me let me let me just take one. Blessed are the okay. poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, there's yeah. no priest there that is blessing you. Uh, there, the poor. And what is the real? Yeah, so, what's the real translation? Is that okay? So um, the. The Greek term starts with this uh, predicate adjective, makarios, which we've translated as blessed, as though it's a verb, but it's not a verb. It's just a description of the character of a person who is, in this case, poor before God. Now, the interesting thing about that word is that there are multiple definitions for, or multiple terms in Greek and Hebrew for what poor means. And in this case, it means destitute. So it's not the day laborer, it's not the guy who, who lives from paycheck to paycheck. The idea is that the poor here is someone who's so, he's the beggar. He's the one who's laying in the street. He's so, so destitute that unless somebody comes and helps him, he's going to die, right? So now, it, now what Jesus is saying is how lucky you are to be completely destitute, which, which seems completely backwards. But then he goes on to say, the paradox is that when you're that desperate for God, God shows up. The kingdom of God arrives, right? He basically says the reason that the kingdom of God even shows up in life is because people are desperate for God. If you're not desperate, you're not going to see the kingdom. So your comment about the world is on fire is the perfect time for us to say, wait a minute, everything is falling apart. We're in desperate situations, desperate straits. Now is the time when we should be looking for the kingdom, because that's when God arrives, when people are desperate for him. When we don't need God, you know, it's like Heschel says, we, we put him in exile, and then we think, oh, we can survive without him. But in fact, 
what actually happens is that the world starts to collapse as it is and it's done many times before. And that's when desperation takes over and that's when God starts looking to our hearts to see, you know, what what to do next. So, so the beatitude is all about that kind of thing. So um, you're lucky, I, and I speak as a recovering alcoholic, I look at all of the tragedies in my life and I look at them and say, I, and it took me a while to get here, but I look at them and go, you know, if that wouldn't have happened, then I wouldn't have been here and I wouldn't have been here and I wouldn't have learned that and I wouldn't have done that. Um, and, yeah. and you can look at all of the horrible things in your life and if you view them as a blessing or lucky would be a better word in that case, you're looking at the things that you fail uh, and where you have really gone down to the bottom, you are lucky if you view it that way. And yeah, and you're and exactly. you're because your heart is open now. It's not like God comes and he's like, well, I'm waiting for you to be humble and I'm not going to show. I've got some other thing. I've got to I've got to play some pool at three this afternoon. He's what he's he's always trying to get you, but you won't listen. So you're lucky because God's there. Right. The kingdom of heaven is. Isn't that the full translation? Yeah. The, the kingdom of heaven yeah. is. So he's there. But now you're open to him. Yeah. Now you see it. I wow. mean, look, I often say it this way. The best resume you can have is your failure resume, because God can't work with your success resume. You did that. He's working with your failure resume, the things yes. that you collapsed over, the things that drove you to the ground, the things that put you on your knees. Those are the times when, you know, God becomes uh, the, the only solution to your life. And that's when he sh when he really shows up. So I, I write two resumes when when people ask for my stuff. I, you know, I send them the, you know, the five degrees and all the books and everything. And then I say, OK, wait a minute. There's another resume that you need to know about. And that's the one of all of my failures. All the things that I that I couldn't do became the part of me that that makes me who I am. Mm. So give me so let me just go back to this one. And then can you can you show us the different Beatitudes and what they really say? Lucky are those sure. who are desperate because because of them, huh. the kingdom of heaven is. That's the actual yeah, translation. Exactly. Yeah, actually, the Greek, there is a word hoti, and it means because of them. And no scholar will tell you that it should be translated for theirs is, because then it makes it sound like we get a piece of the real estate of heaven. Correct. That's not what happens at all, right? What happens is, because I'm desperate, the kingdom of God arrives. I mean, look what Jesus says. The kingdom is, is at hand. And what he means is, he's dealing with people who are finally desperate enough to see that God is ready to answer them that he's going to show up, right? And it's because of their desperation that God shows up. And you can see that in the history of Israel. I mean, think about the number of times that, that the prophets excoriate Israel over being too fat, too happy, too comfortable, that they ignore their social responsibility, they ignore the poor, and what happens? They collapse. And then when they collapse, they, they plead, God, you know, forgive us, bring us back, and then he, you know, he shows up. Right? That, that's the kind of thing that goes on in this beatitude. All right. So, so let's, uh, let's go through these. Okay. Go ahead. So the first one, of course, we've talked about, but, you know, the, 
The lucky ones are the destitute because the kingdom of God shows up. The second one we read as, I'll read it from the New International or the New American Standard Bible. Um, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. But think about that. The, the term that's used there is the term for a person who's at a funeral. So why are people at funerals lucky? You would think that's the last place on earth that you would ever say, oh, I'm so lucky I'm at this funeral. Because you're alive. The point, yeah, yeah. Well, but the point is that once you are at, when you're at a funeral, you experience the fragility of life. For the first time you come into contact with the fact that you're not in charge, right? That you can't make your life go on by yourself. You can't just decide I'm going to live longer. You don't have any control over that issue of life and death. And when you're at a funeral, it smacks you in the face. The point there is I'm really lucky because now I get to confront the fact that I'm not in control. It is the same feeling that we had on 9-11. If you're old enough to remember, it was the yeah. worst day. And, and it was, but it was the first day in my life where I went, oh, my gosh, this is so fragile. This could come down overnight. And I had yeah. never felt that before. And we're feeling that, I think, as a society, we're feeling that again. Yes. We're not quite sure how it's working yet. We know that there's something really wrong but we haven't been able to put our finger on it like an attack on the Twin Towers. But we know that something is happening that's destroying things, and it's making us feel out of control. All you have to do is look at the craziness of the politics that's going on in Washington. Those people are out of control, and that that makes me feel very vulnerable. And that's the time, because of this language, it says when when you're in the, you know, when you confront death, especially death of a loved one, you realize how absolutely dependent you are on God. And that feeling of dependence goes right along with my desperateness for God. So the two Beatitudes work together. The third one is even better, because the third one, you know, uh, just let me back up for a second. Jesus doesn't deliver these in Greek. He delivers them in Hebrew. So in order for me to really understand what's happening, I can't just read the Greek. I have to say, okay, well, what would happen if he was speaking this in Hebrew? And the word that he uses in Hebrew is ana, which we translate sometimes as gentle, but it really means humble. But it means more than that, because that word is about people who are oppressed. In fact, it's used for women who have been raped. Okay, so look at the third beatitude. Blessed are those who are oppressed, for they shall inherit the earth. I mean, the whole point is no one would think that they're lucky because they were oppressed. No woman thinks she's lucky to be raped. No country thinks it's it's lucky to be bombarded and overrun. But what Yeshua is saying is, no, wait, there's a paradox here. When you when you come to the point where your life is not only not in your control, but where everything is happening that that seems destructive. That's when something happens with God, and you recognize that there's a that there's a hope, a future, a something that's going to happen afterwards, and you can build on that because God's promises are always true, right? So I even if, even if I'm in the worst possible condition as David is often in the Psalms, he will say, but you, Lord, are my rescue. In other words, yeah, life is short, but, but, it, but it's, not going to, 
it, it's not going to continue like that because I trust God will, will redeem, God will rescue. So the Beatitude takes this horrible situation and turns it upside down. Skip Moen, he's an international Bible teacher. You can find him at skipmoen.com. Thank you so much, Skip. We'll talk again. Na, 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 na.